The scripture reading today is John 5, verses 1 to 9. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. The word of the Lord. We've been taking a look at some psalms this summer. I think this is the third Sunday that we've been doing this. Uh, so if I, I invite you to turn to Psalm 126 uh, there in the Pew Bible. Let us hear again the word of God. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, Carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. This last summer, a year ago or so, Cindy and I went down to the local nursery and we bought five new trees for a portion of our yard that was mostly just long grass and dirt. It was a small dream that I had to transform that part of our lot, this part that faces the road. So I bought three maples, uh, not just any maples, but the tag said they were amazing blazing maples. <laughs> well, I've got to go with those. And two flowering plum trees. And we made it an event. We brought them back. We after finding just the right ones, we, we dug the holes together. We put fertilizer in together. And we're so 
kind of ceremonial about planting these five new trees. We gently place them down into that freshly spaded hole, put some good soil around them, and we stake them out so that if summer turned to fall, we hope that they would be staked against the prevailing breeze. We even bought some little rounded bricks and made a little ring around each tree and put little gravel on top. It, you know, it looks so cute and, you know, just right. And got all finished that day, and I looked across our yard, and I just pronounced, we made a park. <laughs> My hopes were high for this growing season. <laughs> Over the 4th of July, we traveled on home up to eastern Idaho, and I noticed one of the maples was not so amazing. <laughs> In fact, I heard myself make another announcement. I said, I think it's dead. <laughs> the winter was hard on these trees, and our neighbors said the moose had been there feasting for a couple of days one day last winter. And I suspect the gophers are feeding on those nice, fresh roots. Unbeknownst to us, though, our next-door neighbor, she's been slipping over to water that struggling young maple. She noticed its condition. She, she's taken on its health as her own personal mission. Can you believe it? She said to me, she said, I, I think it has a chance. I love people like that. People who hold out hope when hope is out of sight. They just inspire me. Watering a bare stick of a tree stuck in the ground with hopes that it's going to be an amazing blazing maple some year. Who does that kind of thing? Now I hear in the last few weeks there's a couple of leaves on that stick. <laughs> who knows? Psalm 126, it speaks of restoration, doesn't it? It's the psalm that we read when, when hope is out of sight, and it leads us to make all sorts of pronouncements over our lives and the lives of others. I think Psalm 126 leads us to say things like this. Now, hold on a sec. Maybe we're not quite done here yet. Psalm 126, uh, the scholars say it's a, a song or a psalm of degrees. And not degrees like my thermometer or like we see on the bank thermometer here in, you know, in the valley on these summer days. But degrees as in the steps that people would take as they made their way up to Jerusalem. It's a song to be sung on the, the way to festivals, on the way to worship. These ancient Hebrew pilgrims, they would sing as they traveled. And many of the psalms in this section, around 120, uh, there's about 15 of them that are called Songs of Ascent. And you can see that usually in the, in the script above the psalm. So they were made to be upward-facing kind of songs as, as they would make their way to worship. And in this case, Psalm 126, it was a psalm to remember when Israel was restored to its homeland, when an exiled and oppressed people were restored to Zion some years before. It had been the worst that could happen, that exile, that loss of home. Yet 
the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we read in that song. The picture of them being taken off to Babylon. Some five centuries before Jesus was born, it was a horrific time. Israel fell victim to a, a shift in world powers between Assyria and Babylon eventually, and they were carried away. Their fortunes plummeted, families separated, homes lost, businesses destroyed, land left with fruit still on the vine. The worst that could happen to them happened. People were, were removed from their homes. They were lined up and marched across the desert, and behind them, they could see the, the smoke rising on their beloved city, this holy city of Jerusalem. When they arrived in Babylon, they were told bluntly that their past was gone, that they were no longer to consider themselves Jews, that they would have no home to return to, told to become accustomed to it, to marry the locals, to build their new lives in this new place. Your home is no more, they were told. And for 70 years, this narrative was told to them. It was the end of a dream of a, a people of God, and it just ruptured the heart of the people. They were people who thought of little else except restoration of going home. Psalm 137 captures some of the hearts of, of the people in those days. You know that one, by the rivers of Babylon. There we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung our harps. From there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors asked us for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And I wonder if the song is ever gone out of you? Have you ever felt like you needed to just hang up the harp and found yourself in a new and foreign place, remembering better days, hoping that good times will, will come again? Eugene Peterson writes of this time in the saga of Israel, saying that the life of an exile is mostly a matter of fantasies and longings. They remember the green fields and the fertile vineyards, the magnificent temple and the city they had left. They remember their homes and their villages and the beauties of their festivals. But the first reports from their homeland were not encouraging that Jerusalem was in rubble. The Solomon Temple was a pile of rocks. The fields were overrun with brambles and weeds, wild animals foraged in the vineyards. Nothing was like what they remembered it to be, he wrote. It was the end of an incredible dream, this nation of Israel. Milk and honey, remember all that, the promise. The establishment of a land, a, a nation I will make for you a people, they had been told. The city of God, all that history, kings and, and prophets, even the name Zion, you know, a name that conjured up not just a place, not just a city, but something of the heart, uh, 
soul. It was the dream between them and God to have a new place for them to live out their relationship with God and God's presence with them. All of it was seemingly leaking away. The fortunes of the nation were lost into the hands of foreign powers. Remember how Moses had warned the Israelites all those years before. He said, when you, are, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all of you, you, you've multiplied, then your heart grew proud, and you may say to yourself, my power and my strength has produced this wealth for me. And Moses said, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Those exiles, those years later after Moses, they must have been hearing those words as they trudged away, as they were led away from Jerusalem. No wonder they hung up their harps and wept. They had the weight of the centuries upon them. Control had been lost, and they were in this strange in-between time. I think this is perhaps the perfect psalm for congregations in transition. Remembering what was, considering what will be in this kind of in-between time. All those good times in the past, so much unknown. What will be? Will we make it? Yes, you will. (laughs) But some speak of this season of life and the life of a congregation as a season of dislocation which according to Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann, he said, may be an occasion for a common resubmission to the power of God's Spirit. A common resubmission to the power of God's Spirit. I think Psalm 126 is that common resubmission. It's that occasion. It's the big hope. It's a time when the you know, the big C church out there in the world today is a little bit on the run from its former glory. And some call this age that we live in uh, post-Christendom, like we've left something behind and we're on the way to something else. It's tempting in those places to hang up our harps and to let the song sort of be lost in us. This psalm is a sure and certain promise that that God does indeed have us in that in-between time. The psalmist says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. I think that's my favorite line from this psalm, that we were like those who dreamed. Israel could hardly believe it. Seventy years later, when it got its Zion back, all of its heart and land and hope and the the presence of God. And they they came pouring back to Jerusalem those 70 years later, and they rebuilt that city, the walls, the temple. It got rebuilt. What what was lost was found. What was broken was restored. And we read that great exclamation in Psalm 126, 
the great things the Lord has done for us. And the song just poured out of them. They were like people who dreamed again. I've been reading a lot about churches in transition lately. And I've been reading a lot of this man named Peter Stanky who writes you know, about congregations. He's some kind of a, a church consultant analyst type. Uh, looks at social science and transfers that on to other organizations like churches. And I like what he has to say here in one of his books. He says that hope provides a new angle of vision. When things look bleak or unmovable, that hope sees more than what is there. If congregations are to respond to the challenge of change, half-hearted actions will not achieve what is desired. Victim thinking will only reinforce a sense of powerlessness, but hope can carry a congregation over the threshold of can't. I think he read Psalm 126. <laughs> that congregations can become like those who dream again. Steinke goes on to write about there being a problem with what he calls imaginative gridlock, this loss of the dream, this loss of vision and hope. You know, it's why I'm so thankful when I hear about my next-door neighbor you know, coming through the gate and the fence with her little watering can <laughs> over to my dying maple tree. You know, I just think, I, I think it's going to make it. <laughs> I think it's going to be okay. I want that dream. I want that hope that she has. Restore our fortune, Lord, the psalm says, like streams in the Negev. This is how the Negev usually looks. South of Palestine, it, to me, I thought, looks a lot like southern Utah. <laughs> right? Some of you are thinking about firing up your ATV about now. That'd be fun to kind of go through there. But it was a dry and hard wilderness in those days. No place to travel across. But when the rains came, it would spring to life. It was a desert, and the, those stream beds, they, they don't often run cool and full. And for centuries, the, the Negev, like this, was a symbol for the soul of the people that had kind of gone out of them. And so that's their prayer in Psalm 126, to restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev, to make them like this. That's the hope. Cool, refreshing, laughter, joy, restoration. It's a, it's a beautiful symbol, isn't it? Which I think Utahns get. <laughs> we understand that. A stream where once there was a dry stream bed. It's the image of, of God. He desires for us to carry of God himself and of life. That when we need to start over in life, there's a promise of God that brings us back. Karl Barth, the theologian, liked to speak of God in these terms. He said that he is not unmoved by the creature he loves. I don't know why he doesn't just say, He's moved by the creature he loves. <laughs> I don't know why we have a double negative, but that's how Bart wrote. <laughs> God is not unmoved by you and by me. He sees our lives, and he's moved by compassion 
He's going to restore our fortunes. There's nothing in the character of God that would tell us that the way things are now is the way things will always be. And Jesus comes into that pool, that pool of Bethesda that we, we, we heard this morning. And it's such a sad sort of place. People there that cannot help themselves, hoping that somebody will help them get into the water. And that man who's been there pretty much all his life and given up on life. Can't get to the water. So Jesus asked this question, which at first take we think, well, what kind of a question is that? But for this man, it's the most important question. Do you want to be made well? Of course he wanted to be made well. But he'd been there so long, he'd grown so accustomed to his brokenness. He had hung up his harp so many years before and lost his song. There's a family in the little Presbyterian church that we attend up in Teton Valley. And last summer they experienced just the worst that can happen to anyone. While they were on vacation back uh, at the mother's home in Tennessee, her, where she grew up on a farm there, they were there with their two children, and they have a five-year-old boy. And he was out exploring around the farm, and he went into a grain bin or silo, and he got caught somehow in there and, and could not get out and was found hours later and had died in there. This precious family, small town, small church, everybody knows everybody. It just hit the whole community hard, had such hard heartbreak. The dream had just gone out of them, this family. And grief in so many ways is, is like being thrust into exile to a place that you would never choose with no hope of ever coming back from. Psalm 126 speaks to us in all those broken places. Those who sow with tears will reap with, with songs of joy. It's a hope beyond what we can even begin to think of at times. I remember this young mother in the church there, she posted on Facebook in that week following her son's death some amazing words. She said that our grief is deep and wide. God is bigger. Amazing. Our grief is deep, but God is bigger. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Apostle Paul would, would write many years later, he says, So we do not lose heart, for we know that if this earthly tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, eternal in the heavens. Hope, hope that is ours. Thinking about all this, I read a story. It comes out of the, the Talmud, which is sort of an interpretation of the Torah. Uh, in the Jewish tradition, the Talmud is sort of a teaching tool, a lot of stories, rabbinic kind of stories. And there's a story that's apparently well-known among rabbis. 
the story of a man, a very devoted, kind of righteous man who slept for 70 years. You see where this is going. But before he fell asleep, this man saw an old man who was planting a carob tree that would not bear fruit for 70 years. So this very righteous man was troubled the whole of his life, as the story goes, about this, the meaning of this verse from Psalm 126, you know, that when the Lord brought back those that returned to Zion, they would, that they would be like dreamers. And so this, this devoted man, he wondered, is it possible for someone to live long enough to dream continuously for 70 years? And he was thinking about the prophet Jeremiah, who had written that when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Well, as the story goes, the man ate a meal and fell asleep for 70 years. And when he awoke, he saw the man's grandson gathering the fruits of the carob tree. 70 years. Hold on to a dream. This psalm is one of promise, of restoration, of being restored. Not that everything will be put back together in, in just the same way that it was before, but it's a promise of God's long journey with us. You ever look back on your life and think, that is kind of amazing. <laughs> How out of that came this? Amazing, blazing. <laughs> Maybe. From seed to sheaves, the psalm says. From start to finish, 70 years, back to a, a holy city, a promised place. The Lord has restored us. John Piper's take on this psalm is, are these words. Don't dream too small or pray too small about what God may do to save us and glorify his name. Pray too small. That's really it, isn't it? Oh, hold on a second. We're not quite done here yet. <laughs> that hope will carry us over the threshold of can't. Keep dreaming those streams of living water out in the desert, of tears becoming songs of joy, of dreaming bigger, of breaking through imaginative gridlock to keep walking this long path with our God who's not unmoved by the creature he loves, who will say over us and for us that the Lord does great things for us and fills us with joy. Our God, we know that you are a constant presence. We know that even in days when it seems as if the dream has gone out of us, that you are there. Lord, help us to believe, give us new faith, new hope, that wherever we are in life this morning, that we might believe and trust that you are the one who can bring life out of death, 
can bring joy from sorrow and can bring a stream of living water out of the desert. We pray in Christ's name.